If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We made this. Hi, this is Dean Haglund. I'm Langley from the X-Files, and you're listening to the X-Cast. everybody to the X-Cast. As ever, the truth is in here. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for joining us for another Season 9 episode. Uh, today we are going to discuss the 15th episode of Season 9, which is Jump the Shark, in which the lone gunmen die a miserable, albeit heroic, death. Okay, so <laughs> I am joined on this episode firstly by Sarah Blair. Hello, Sarah. Hello. It's been a while. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Thank Good. you. And uh, we're also joined by Tony Black. Hello, Tony. Hello, guys. This is my first official season nine appearance, isn't it? Actually, mm. I've I've dodged a lot of bullets, and now I've been hit with the probably the one of the biggest. Actually, <laughs> well, that was going to be my first question to you. Actually, is yeah, where the fuck have you been, Tony? <laughs> where? Because <laughs> you know, just one appearance, and it's coming quite late in the day. Yeah, what's that all about? Okay, I, I am going to tell you the reason. I, I weighed it all up and I thought, if I have to sit through 13 episodes of the Lone Gunman TV series and talk about it for two hours, then that's my trade-off, basically, for not doing any of season nine until now. And people will have listened to those episodes before this, hopefully, in the run-in with me and Darren Mooney. So that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. I think that's a fair trade, Sarah, to be honest. I didn't <laughs> yeah. fancy watching any of that Lone Gunman no, series again. No. <laughs> thing yeah. is, I tried. I tried to get you guys to help me with it. And you were like, oh, do we have to? Politely non-committal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, yeah, Jump the Shark, written by John Scheiben, Vince Gilligan, Frank Spotnitz, directed by Cliff Bowl. And this episode aired for the first time on the 21st of April, 2002. And like I said, episode 15, so this is really the start, I think, of the drawing down of the series in a way, because I think we just had Scary Monsters before this, and in Scary Monsters, a lot of it is kind of about the sort of continuing potency of the X-Files, and don't worry, because Doggett's here and he can still solve cases, even though he's unimaginative and all of that, and then you get to this episode, and it's all about tidying things away, so uh, in Jump the Shark, and then in William and Release, and et cetera, et cetera. So... Tony, why don't you just kick us off with some thoughts on season nine then, seeing as this is the first time we're hearing from you this season. And um, obviously Sarah and I have discussed that on a few episodes already, but um, yeah, is this, is this a season you're particularly fond of? I was going to say. <laughs> well, surely my vast amount of appearances on this season, you know, would... Uh, but, um, no, not really, no. if I'm honest. You know, I mean, I, I'm fully behind Doggett and Reyes as a pairing. You know, I really like those guys. I have gone and rewatched a lot of season nine in the run-up to recording this over the last few months. 
And I watched one episode for the very first time, actually, Underneath, which was uh, a few episodes ago. And I'd never seen that before. Although somebody in one of the comments on the basement group said, Tony, you probably did, but you probably forgot. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I did. But that that wasn't, it wasn't a revelationary, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, it, it's, it's more missed than hit, I think, really. You know, it has moments. I always liked episodes like um, Trust No One, which, I, which were like over the top melodrama and obviously had Terry O'Quinn, um, or sorry, Terrence Quinn whatever that's about um and things like that i quite liked but i mean it's very 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 few and far between and and when when you get to a point where jump the shark is one of the only for me highlight episodes of the season you know you're onto a hiding to nothing here (laughs) um so not a big fan sorry no i don't think you need to apologize i think uh I mean, I think the the term I always use is underrated by default, just in the sense that I think a lot of people skip the season entirely. And like you said, mm. there are moments that make it somewhat palatable. They should have put that on the DVD box set. Somewhat, somewhat palatable. Somewhat palatable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Jump the Shark then. Yeah, Sarah, do you want to kick us off? And um, you had no memory of this episode you were just telling us. I still have, I watched it yesterday and I still have very little memory of it. Um, Can I just preface this episode by saying I've had bronchitis this week and I've got a lot of decongestants going on. And so like, please forgive me if I don't sound like my normal, usually intelligent self. Like I just. I haven't noticed uh, any difference. I I would like to pretend, I would like to pretend that I am. I am more capable than this, but probably no, not. Sorry. I think you're not going to notice much of a difference, unfortunately. But is it going to get bad <laughs> enough, Sarah, that we're going to have to quarantine you behind some pressure doors at the, you know, by the end? <laughs> I hope I'm not. Holding my hand up to the. Uh... <laughs> I just, yeah, you guys. Um, yeah, I don't think I have any ultraviolet radioactive <laughs> tissue within me that I know about. But you know, the aliens, the aliens have returned. I, you know, maybe they stole my memories and I've been abducted. We need a bald man who can get you into Arlington National Cemetery if you perish. So Kurt's going to have to try and pull some strings somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what's your, what are your general thoughts uh, on the episode, Sarah? And would you give it a mark? What would you I, give it out of 10? See, I was trying to come up with some numbers and I thought like, maybe I'll just be like really surprising and say like an eight because it's got all three of the lone gunmen in it. So they're like maybe two points each, right? So that brings you up to an automatic six. And then you've Mm -hmm. got Reyes. So that's another two. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just those (laughs) actors being present on screen (laughs) earns it some points, I suppose. That's a lot of points, though. I didn't understand it at all. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, I I didn't recall the Lungaman show so I didn't understand anything that was going on. I had to, I'll be honest, I had to do a lot of rewinding because my mind would drift. <laughs> I would like, I'd try to watch it and then I would just like stop paying attention <laughs> and have to like go back. I'm like, wait, what happened? So I think I've actually watched this episode about three times in pieces, just rewatching mm-hmm. the sh- scenes over and over. Uh, yeah, I... I don't really recall a lot about the actual episode other than thinking this wasn't as bad as I remember, except I don't remember it. So maybe it is that bad. I don't know. Yeah. I, 
I, I really don't have a whole lot of opinion on this episode because it just it's very forgettable, you know. To be fair, that's probably the most paradoxical I have. To be honest, um, Tony, how about you? So, um, I mean, obviously, he tells you general thoughts on the episode, but at some point, we're probably going to want to contextualize this in relation to the Lone Gunman series, aren't we? Because um, yeah. Obviously, this is kind of tidying up some loose ends and all of that. And you've just watched the series. So um, maybe, I don't know if you want to sort of tee that up for us a little bit as well before giving us your general thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah, as I said earlier, people might have listened to the the two-part breakdown that Darren and I did on the Lone Gunman series, which came out not long before, about a year before Jump the Shark aired, roughly. So that debuted in March of 2001. And it was sandwiched between this is not happening and dead alive. And Darren and I both made the point that maybe that's not the best time to introduce a bouncy spin-off <laughs> just at the point <laughs> that everyone's gone. Oh, Mulder's dead. Oh, great. And you've got Scully anguished in pain and then up pop, you know, uh, up pops Frohiki doing a mission impossible spoof and then pretending to be in the matrix with Kung Fu. It's just like, is it the right time, you know, for that? Um, so excuse my barking dog, by the way, she'll calm down in a minute. Um, if you can hear her. Daddy. Uh, little Betty. Um, so it comes out at that point, gets 13 episodes. I think it's cancelled roughly half the way through. It doesn't have, let's put it this way, a great critical reception. Uh, audience figures fall off a cliff. I think it starts at something like 13 million for the pilot episode. And then by the time they get to uh, the last episode, it's down to about four point something million. However... They 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 the last one they aired was the penultimate episode. So they aired the finale all about Eve, which is the one that leads into this episode, mm. and then they aired the one that was supposed to air beforehand, the Captain Toby show afterwards, and that makes no sense. <laughs> you know, if you were watching it just coming in week by week, because it all about Eve ends on a big cliffhanger, and then you they you know, so it was they completely fudged the scheduling. Um, in that way and I think they did it because they intended to hold over the Captain Toby show for a potential second season and when that didn't happen they then air that randomly because they just want it out of the way so at that point Lone Gunman is no more season nine kicks off there's the is it nothing important happened today where Langley turns up and he's got blue paint on him yeah yeah and that's that's arising from the cliff from the cliffhanger episode of the Langerman show right, right. so all about Eve from that. happens just around the point of nothing important happened today basically so this 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 series is running sort of in um, parallel with season 8 of the X-Files and Mulder does pop up very briefly at the end of Lone Gunman yeah and Duchovny could not look less interested. <laughs> like he's, uh, but he's definitely late season eight Mulder because he's got the leather jacket on. He's got like the V-neck sweater. Like he, he's he's in that chill. I've just been abducted and I've come back and what the hell is going on mode. Um, so uh, it's a really pointless cameo. Uh, Sarah, did you know that Skinner pops up in The Lone Gunman though? Uh, no. That? That's like an episode that... That's, he's in a good chunk of that episode, isn't he? If I remember rightly. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the Lying Game, and it's okay. about and uh, you know they're they're not subtle because it ends up being about someone who's uh, transsexual, basically. Okay. Um, so, um, but have Skinner's to buy in that it. One. Well, I mean, yeah. it's it's not good, and it's certainly not Skinner's <laughs> finest hour. It's no Avatar or Zero Sum before yeah. you know to burst your bubble. But Mitch Pileggi does does get to have fun, and there's a certain context as to how he gets to have fun in a way you've never seen nice. Skinner before. Um, so yeah, that you might want to check that one out. 
Um, okay. Not in excited. Don't get too excited. No. <laughs> it's, it's <fun>. <laughs> you, you'll find it fun. So all of this happens, and then, like I say, gets cancelled, and then it ends on on such a cliffhanger that Frank Spartnitz, Vince Gilligan, John Shaban, the three people who'd most been involved in Lone Gunman, they essentially show run it really throughout that that run. Chris Carter's there lurking in the background. They fight tooth and nail to get Jump the Shark out there because they are they're saying we need to conclude this cliffhanger and we want to conclude the story ultimately of the gunman so no one else wants to make it basically no one else wants to do this at all and they just and not in the and fox and the fox network are like do you have to do you have to do this really and they somehow got this through the door basically and that's where we begin with jump the shark and then what do you make of the episode and what would you give it out of 10? Uh, I Honestly, I, I can't really give this more than about four, to be honest. Four points to Morris Fletcher. How about that? If we keep it on the Sarah scale of <laughs> people. Because <laughs> uh, it's great to have him back in it. Uh, but It is, yeah. Oh, he the, gets another point, so I guess I'm up to nine, right? You're up to nine. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's going to be the highest scored episode ever for Sarah based on this, no. <laughs> this system. Um, it, yeah, it, it's... It's not really much of anything because it's it's concluding a cliffhanger that so many people watching this will never have probably watched, for one thing. It, it, it's just... It, it, and it doesn't actually conclude that cliffhanger. It, I mean, it's almost like a completely different story in a way. It's not like it's part two of All About Eve, really. Mm. Um, so, and it, and it has to retrofit certain of the characters like Eva Del Harlow, played by Zuleika Robinson, who's in The Lone Gunman. She's this... Well, she's a bit of a she's a bit of a trope, really. You know, she's like the mysterious, sexy girl who you know comes in and tells them all off and stuff. And they, you know, they have to find a way to wrap her up, and they have to crowbar in people like Jimmy Bond, and then you know, Kimmy the Geek and Morris. And and for for people who haven't watched The Lone Gunman, they're, they're going to be like, who the fuck are these people? You know, um, and a very scant appearances by Doggett and Reyes, and especially Scully at the end. So it's like, <sighs> I get the point in a way, but at the same time, it's a bit like, well. The whole Lone Gunman experiment was like five years too late anyway. So it, it just feels a little bit like a kind of it, like a deflating balloon, you know, on screen, really. When you say the Lone Gunman experiment, you mean the idea of spinning them off into their own show. Is that what you mean? In the sense that the X-Files had kind of peaked and just the interest wasn't going to be there for them. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You know, I mean, season, it's a funny old time to launch a Lone Gunman spinoff, really, you know, in, in season eight, which in itself is recalibrating the whole X-Files thing. It is a show that's a bit past its prime by this point. It's not really in the zeitgeist anymore. It's not even like retrofitting Millennium to be a, an X-Files spin-off. You know, at a time when the X-Files was 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 very popular and then you you create this really dark show almost alongside it in a way. It doesn't even have that bounce to it. It's a bit like, well, it feels like an 80s fun caper that has been just pop hopped into the early 2000s. And then obviously the biggest, I think one of the biggest things is the, the, the uncanniness for a lot of people of the fact that the pilot episode is about planes going into the Twin Towers. It's like six months before 9-11. And I think that even, on the commentary, they're very, they almost are apologetic, <laughs> you know, the writers of this, as if to say, guys, I'm sorry, we did this. <laughs> like They actually don't ever even think it's actually even going to be on DVD releases and stuff because it's so uncanny in you know what it's kind of saying yeah. so it, it's a funny beast came out at a funny time and that means jump the shark is it's a necessary episode in some ways depending on how you look at it 
but it's not a particularly a very interesting or thrilling one. No, I would agree. I think I'm going to go for like a 4.5. It's pretty functional, isn't it? Mm. I mean, the, the problem is that it, it almost feels to me, and bear in mind I haven't watched the Lone Gunman series for a while. I have seen it, but it's been a while. It seems to me like of that show, this would, this would probably be one of the stronger installments overall. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. The problem is this is an episode of The X-Files, and it's not a good episode of The X-Files, really. So, no. yeah, I find, I find it a curious beast. And I want to unpack that a bit more as we go along. Mm. Just quickly, before we go to the episode in-depth uh, breakdown, let's talk a bit about the title, Jump the Shark. I mean, do you guys remember the Jump the Shark website? Do you remember when this phrase was in the lexicon a lot? And do you remember where it comes from, either of you? Um, I do. Jumping the Shark. Sarah, yeah, go on. It's from Happy Days, right? Where yeah. they had the episode where the Fonz is doing the water skiing and he jumps the shark or something. Like, what does he do? I don't remember. It's from the Fonz. I know that. And uh, <laughs> it's the episode where everyone universally kind of agrees that Happy Days should have been over, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it's kind of like the idea that it, the jumping the shark point is the point at which a show is irretrievably past its best, right? Right. That no matter what comes next, you're not going to get back to what was good about that, whatever the show is. The best is behind you, yeah. Do you guys, like Tony, do you remember the Jump the Shark website? Do you ever, did you ever spend any time on there? No, I don't. No, I, no I, I don't remember that, no. It was quite good. It was like people could submit what they thought the shark jumping point was ah. for any particular show. So you could read like what everybody felt was the shark jumping moment for the X-Files, whether it was when William comes along or the move to LA or, you know, whatever, whatever the plot point people took issue with. So my question is, do we think the X-Files ever jumped for shark? Did it? Did, it, did the X-Files ever get to a point where it, it passed the point of no return, as it were? What do you reckon, Sarah? Ugh. It's so hard to pinpoint a moment, probably. I, you know, because like some people, you could say the move to LA was... But then there's so many great episodes in seasons six, seven, you know. Or William... Or yeah. David Duchovny leaving. I don't think there's just one moment. I think there are several moments that add up to a grander scale. I I would say, in a way, it never jumped the shark because there was never a reason why the next episode of the X Files couldn't be a great episode, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because that makes of sense. the elasticity of the premise mm -hmm. that next week you can be on a completely different case and 
all of that. I think with the mythology, it gets different. It's a different story in a way because that gets so tangled. But um, what do you think, Tony? What's your sense? Yeah, you make a good point there about how it could almost recalibrate itself. I part of me wants to say when it started doing comedy episodes that were just a bit too. I don't know what the right term is. Something like the ranking. Now, I, 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 the ranking is lovely. You know, I think you've got to be made of stone to not find something in the ranking that puts a smile on your face. But is that the point where it just doesn't really become the X Files anymore? You know, that 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 kind of that kind of lightness and comedy to it, possibly, possibly. But it was interesting hearing um, Spotnitz and those guys talk about it because they meant they talk about this and the trope, and they said the reason they wanted to call this episode "Jump the Shark" is because. They were aware of the trope. They were aware of conversations that maybe people have been having, critics, fans, etc., that the X-Files had jumped the shark. And they, maybe because they just didn't know what else to call this. <laughs> you know, they, 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 knew they couldn't call it All About Eve Part 2. Um, but they 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 just thought this would be a fun episode. I mean, I know the sh- there's a sort of shark connection in the story as well, but it's not really about that. Um, but they, <laughs> yeah. they, they were aware these conversations were happening. So that informed why they called this Jump the Shark, really. But yeah. I think there's an argument to say that if it did happen, it happened long before this, long before season nine. Although with your Rain King example, I would say like the existence of the Rain King doesn't stop them doing something like Milagro. No, you know, exactly. Or Field Trip, right. which is yeah. in a completely different like register. I suppose the argument yeah. for season nine would be the fact that David Duchovny is no longer there means that a big part of the series has been removed and... You could argue that, you know, even if we like Doggett and Reyes in certain ways, you could argue that that partnership was never as strong or compelling. Mm. So, yeah, anyway, it'd be interesting to hear what any listeners uh, think on that. Yeah. Um, Okay, IMDB, just before we get into the the episode breakdown. So, um, do you want to hazard a guess, Sarah, what this one gets out of 10 on IMDB? Well, IMDB never really goes below a 6, so it's got to be at least a 6. I'm going to go with 6.9. Okay, and uh, Tony? I think it'll be a little bit higher, but not by much. So 7.3? It is 7.3. Wow. I'm, I'm dubious, I'm dubious uh, about that, Tony. I feel like you've uh, I, honestly, had a quick gander before. Honestly, I promise <laughs> I didn't. I'm just good at this now. Mm, yeah. I thought that was a bit high. I was a bit higher than I expected. But yeah, there are a few below it for the season, but it's somewhere in the middle of the pack for IMDb mm. on season nine. So... I thought there was more antipathy about this episode, and we got one or two comments where people don't like it, but it doesn't seem like it's absolutely despised, as it were. It seems like it's people don't have necessarily strong feelings about it to that extent, but anyway. Mm. Okay, should we have a closer look at Jump the Shark, then? Let's do it. Let's do it, Fonzie. All right. All right, Tony, so, what, so to kick us off then, so I listened to the commentary on the, the DVD, which is Spotnitz and John Scheiburn and Vince Gilligan, and they talk a bit on there about how this is another episode, like Millennium in Season 7, where you had to merge together two series in a way, in the sense that Millennium finished, and then Frank Black turns up on the X-Files episode Millennium, and then again here, where the Lone Gunman series is, is done. And then this is effectively a de facto Longerman episode airing on the X-Files. And they talk a lot about how the merging of two series like that is an unbearably complicated kind of thing to pull off because you kind of have to balance whether people who only watch the X-Files will understand what the characters are doing and who they are and all that. And you've also got to account for the fact that there might 
theoretically be fans of the Lone Gunman series. <laughs> I'm sorry, just <laughs> laughing at the idea of being hardcore fans of that show. There are people who like that show, be. to be fair. Yeah, there are. Yeah. There, yeah. But you know what I mean? The people who enjoyed that show have got to, you know, be serviced as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. got to be an episode that works for them. So it all starts in this episode from the get-go, doesn't it? Because we get the montage that's voiced by Morris Fletcher with some X-Files uh, clips in there, as well as stuff from the Lone Gunman show. And it feels like a very un-X-Files teaser, doesn't it? So the whole thing's kind of a tonal shift. So, I don't know, I'm just wondering, how effective do you think this whole thing is? Starting from the teaser, but the whole episode, really, uh, catching up people who probably haven't watched The Lone Gunman. A lot of people watching this episode won't have seen The Lone Gunman series. I think it does as best as it kind of can, really. You know, I think having that montage is a smart move, really. Weirdly, it reminded me a little bit of the montages at the start of, like, the My Struggles later. In the, in it reminded sort of, me of Dreamland Part Two, where he's talking about yeah. Mulder. Yeah, yeah. I love a good Morris Fletcher intro. Which, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, they should just Morris Fletcher intros for every episode. Yeah, but um, but I mean, because he, I mean, Fletcher was going to be a second series regular or at least recurring player. You know, depending on how much they could have got Michael McKean in. But the plan was to do a lot more with Fletcher in that second series of Lone Gunman. So it makes sense for him to be quite prominent in this episode. But I think it does. I think it does a better job of establishing that world here than they were. They managed to do with Millennium in that episode, because and we've talked a lot about Millennium, obviously in the past, and and that season seven episode. But obviously that doesn't quite fit at all with the actual Millennium show, with having Frank Black fight zombies. It doesn't. It doesn't at all do that justice. Whereas this one. Yes, they have to port in a little bit more of that supernatural stuff or, you know, paranormal stuff with the with what Eve is up to, sort of. But it I think it captures a little bit more of the tone of the Lone Gunman series. But it is da- it is more dour. I mean this this is da- this is a bit darker. It is a bit sadder. I mean, apart from the how it ends. But it doesn't have the bounce and the zip. And I mean, the, as we talked about in the episodes, Darren and I, the problem with that show is that it it's too comedic. It's often mm. too zany. It's too they go too heavily into that idea of you know these characters, like episodes like Ina kind of Ina Kleiner Frohickey, for example, <laughs> or um, Three Men and a Smoking Diaper. They're they're basic. They 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 should just be like twenty five minute comedies, really. Then they would probably have worked better. So it it doesn't quite have the sense of drama or pathos outside of the pilot episode really which is probably the best episode of all of them despite the controversy but this has a bit more of that i would say so i think it does as good a job as it could have done despite the fact it has to it has to both be a, an appearance of the lone gunman as we know them on the x-files but also the lone gunman that they were on their own show which are the same characters but it's not exactly the same world if you see what i mean yeah because the series is quite unlike, let's say, Unusual Suspects, isn't it, for example? Yeah. It's like you, like you say, the sort of um, slapstick comedy madcap element of the series, which really falls flat a lot of the time, from yeah. what I remember. And no, it does. It's got a bit more in in line with Three of a Kind, a which also more, had yeah. Morris Fletcher as well, briefly. But yeah, even then, it's not quite the same, so... So what what about you, Sarah? Because you were saying that you felt like you didn't know who everybody was and all of that. So did you feel a bit left out as an X-Files viewer watching this this time round, but it's kind of like a Lone Gunman episode and they weren't doing enough to catch people like you up? Or how did, um, you, how did you find it? I mean, I, I appreciated the um, monologue at the beginning, obviously. Um, 
But yeah, I felt, I did feel lost. I did feel like there was a lot that I hadn't participated in, I guess. But I kind of chalked that up to my season nine that I haven't, you know, revisited it as much. And I was like, I don't remember a lot of this, but I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to have faith that, you know, I'm supposed to know this. But yeah, I, and I kind of figured like a lot of it was from the Lone Gunman show. So I sort of just went with it. I was along for the ride and um, I really liked uh, that Zakayla Robinson was in it from Lost. I really love her as an actor. And Mm. so it kind of, it did make me want to perhaps revisit the Lone Gunman series a little bit. Um, But like you said, it just seemed like they were having all these zany antics and just running around more like the Three Stooges than the, the Lone Gunman. So, you know, I wasn't too fussed about it, but I, as far as like rewatchability goes, like, I thought the story was fine, you know, when I wasn't trying to, like, rewind and catch up on something that I had missed. But, um, like, the the mystery of it was fine. I was intrigued by, you know, Eve's character, and I wanted to know where she had come from and why she was so important to them. So I was pulled in as much as I could be, I think. (laughs) But, um... You know, it's all making I, sense now why you gave it a nine out of ten, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did, Sarah Skinner and Scully both turn up as well, so I feel like you should be giving this like a thirteen out of ten or something. There we go. Yeah. Surely so. Skinner gets a full ten, like yeah. straight away. Absolutely. Anyway, absolutely. So what are we on now? Like nineteen. Even mm, before Scully, like we're on that. nineteen. So this is crazy. Yeah. It's just bo- this is going to be the highest rated episode <laughs> of the X Files ever. <laughs> Okay, so I think we might come back to this at a couple of points about how effective it is at integrating these elements from the Lone Gunman show. But we get, you know, um, things like Mark Snow's score has the riffs from the Lone Gunman series, and that's actually revisited quite mournfully at the end of the episode, isn't it, and all that Mm. stuff. Okay, so early on we get a scene on the boat with Morris Fletcher and his companion, and uh, um, I think Spotnitz has talked about that as an intentionally James Bond-ish kind of scene, mm. the idea that he's living that kind of life. But I don't know, there's kind of a leery quality to this episode in a couple of points, which didn't sit that well with me on this rewatch. You know, like the camera focuses on the actresses behind at one point. It does the same with Eve, actually, later on. And then on the commentary, the guys were kind of laughing and joking about that a little bit. I was like, oh. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure they would express themselves in the same way now necessarily. No. I don't know. Did you hear that as well, Tony? Did you listen yeah. to the commentary and you pick up on that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, they, they get a bit distracted. They make a joke about getting a bit distracted when the blonde with big boobs comes on. And it's a bit like... And how fun it was to cast that character and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But it kind of speaks to the point that it doesn't... Because I think Gilligan says, you don't get this kind of stuff on the X-Files normally. Yeah. And it's true, isn't it? it, it all that does help it feel particularly un-X-Files-like in a way. Yeah, it does. I, Darren made a great point in the last episode about how the X-Files for Mulder has the cigarette-smoking man and the syndicate as the great nemesis, and the lone gunman have Morris Fletcher, who is basically just a, sh- a con man, you know, a mid-level bureaucrat who knows a little bit, like he, he's, he knows enough to mention super soldiers to Doggett and Reyes, <laughs> yeah. but he has no idea what they are. You know, he's just heard it somewhere. <laughs> so that was a good point to sort of, show the scales of threat that really you have with these shows and, and where the, it might all be sitting. And I think having that scene with Morris 
and that slightly leery scene. I mean, they're guilty of this throughout The Lone Gunman as well because there's a lot of male gazy stuff with Eve and with Zalika Robinson, you know, who is very attractive, don't get me wrong, but the camera really enjoys focusing on her bum at points or her legs. You know, it's it's that it's that whole thing that wouldn't it wouldn't happen now in the way they filmed it. So it is a little bit it's a bit post it's a bit nineties, early two thousands, isn't it? All this. Really. Yeah, and I think the commentary was recorded. I think they said at one point it's recorded like a year after they finished the show or something. So it's still in that sort of era. But you know what's weird like that. about that though? It sounds like this the way they're talking about it. That they 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 thought wow this looks so good it's like they're ten years ahead yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that it was a year late is that all anyway I'm sure that's what they said at some point wow yeah, yeah. okay okay so then of course Fletcher well we later find out it's all a scam apparently but the boat is set on fire and it explodes and all that stuff and then he's at the Coast Guard place and Doggett and Reyes turn up I don't know Sarah in a way. Like, would this have been a better episode? Would it have been a more natural episode if Scully is the one that Fletcher calls on and she's a bit more involved? Now, I don't think they could have done that because I believe there was an issue with Gillian Anderson's availability. But, mm. you know, he calls on Doggett and Reyes. He mentions super soldiers to them. And then they're off on their own little side plot and they turn up at various points with the gunmen, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Would it have been more natural if Scully is the one doing some of that stuff, potentially? What if... What if he did call Scully first and she was just like, fuck off, Morris? (laughs) (laughs) No, just, you know, that would be, I feel like that would be reasonable to believe. Um, She she doesn't know him, though, does she, at this point? Because it's all been reset from Dreamland. He chats her up when she's drunk in Three of a Kind, but she wouldn't remember that because she's pissed. So she's never really met him, has she? Until the point he comes and joins her in that funeral. She doesn't know who he is. That's true. No, but he, he knows about the X-Files unit. Yeah. So somehow he knows that Doggett and Reyes are running the X-Files now, and presumably yeah. he knows about her in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, you know? And Mulder, probably. Yeah. 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 But what do you reckon, Tony, in terms of the integration of Doggett and Reyes then? Because like, that scene where they're at the Coast Guard base and he talks with them, I suppose that's a scene that's working quite hard in a way to justify this as an X-Files episode before the lone gunmen arrive and they take over and it becomes their kind mm. of thing, you know? Um, yeah. But does it feel kind of a, a good fit necessarily? You know, he turns up, you know, they turn up and um, Reyes is kind of a bit not impressed with him, nonplussed with him. And it doesn't feel like a natural fit to me. No, you, you could, ju- it, it, it would have felt more natural were it Mulder and Scully. And at the point they were Mulder and Scully, you know, as we knew them, you know, probably back in the day. I do like the way Reyes has got absolutely no no time for his bullshit like, you know, that's, i appreciate that you know animeth gish really does sort of you know cut him off in that way it's quite fun to watch they're, they're kind of just there aren't they to either give a bit of exposition or sort of keep the plot wheels moving yeah neither of them really work in terms of this kind of comedy episode you know they don't really know i think how to do it in that way you know it's what it's why you couldn't have put Doggett. i think maybe you could have got away with reyes potentially on the lone gunman but i don't think you could have put Doggett in there because i think there. whereas you you could have put Mulder in there when he was peak Mulder, you know and he would yeah. you would have been able to make him work in that um so it's it, they're just the they're just necessary characters in this episode it's one of those for the, them those guys really you could have almost written it in a way so they weren't in it at all, actually. And you could have just had them turn up at the end like Scully does. You could have... In fact, it might have worked a bit better had they found some way to do this episode without any of them and they just all turn up at the end. I don't know. And that that, that really would have been a hard sell for mm. 
doing an doing an episode like this on the X Files, wouldn't it? I imagine. Yeah. But you know, if you, if you say if we're thinking that the studio was quite reluctant to let them go ahead and do it anyway, you know, for it to be like mm-hmm. that, for it to be complete siphon uh, siloed off thing, where yeah, none of the, none of the regular X Files characters apply. But but you say that there's no Mulder in three of a kind. Scully's in mm-hmm. it for five minutes. The rest of it is those guys, if I remember. But right. it's it's actually inter- somebody posted. Uh, something on Twitter, a thread recently about the print ads for the original run of the X Files, and I think, I think there was one for Free of a Kind where it's all about Scully's little cameo. You know, that's <laughs> that's kind of how they solve that episode. Right. Okay. Almost not solved as a lone gunman yeah. episode. You know, so at least that element is in there, and you can use that to, for your advertising and all that sort of stuff. True. You know? Okay, so I suppose the thematic crux of this episode comes when the lone gunmen are, you know, in their office and they're searching online for Eve and all that, and Fletcher's there. And there's that exchange about the Ramones, isn't there? Which is obviously quite key foreshadowing. The whole thing about Joey lives. Mm. And Fletcher's saying, you know, why don't you grow up? And Langley's like, Joey Ramone never gave in, never gave up, never sold out. So that kind of introduces the emotional element that's going to really come into play later, doesn't it? And um, I think to go back to what we were saying, I think that foreshadowing would probably work quite well for X-Files viewers who, even if they haven't seen the Lone Gunman show, they will be familiar with these characters and have at least some level of history with all those like, those guys. Even if they're, you know, even if those viewers are struggling with like, who is Eva Del Harlow? Who is Jimmy Bond? Why should I care about all this stuff? You know? So do we think that foreshadowing then works quite effectively given where it's all going ultimately, which we'll talk about in a bit, but you know, the idea that they introduce that thematically at this point, don't they, that we're talking about? What do we think? Does it work for you, Sarah? It did, but I also felt it, like, I liked that it was introduced there, but then it got a little bit heavy-handed, I think. Um, it seemed like they really kept pounding on that idea <laughs> and um, bringing it back just a little bit too much and... Um, I think if they had made it a little bit more subtle, it might have been better. <laughs> um, I also kept thinking about this and how, you know, so my mind want- my mind was wandering all over the place while I was trying to watch this. <laughs> yeah, because like, Langley's got a girlfriend at this point that we don't know about until uh, season 11. Right, right with yeah. This and, <laughs> and it's just, you know, I was thinking about all of those things and the remote. I like that they brought in the Ramones, uh, you know. That's always a good shout out. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, it just—I felt like it was a little heavy-handed. I think they could have lightened up on it just a little bit. So yeah, in terms of what Sarah's saying about whether it's heavy-handed, because there is that scene later on, Tony's in there when it's when Frohickey's smoking as Fletcher's talking about you know, and um, Frohickey says something about how it's not been their year and maybe we should pack it in, and like Byers is like, no, no, come on, we never gave up and we never will. So again, it's reiterating what that thematic core of the episode is but it's and it's all building to their death of course i mean yeah. what do you think do you think they handled that fairly well or is it not subtle enough or what do you reckon I, I think i agree with sarah in that it could have been subtler but in a way i don't think they had time i don't think they had the time or space to really layer stuff like that in and have it because yeah. obviously they're trying to make that end in land aren't they an ending which I'm sure we'll talk about but is remains controversial to this day really and questioned by a lot of people so they're having to work hard in order to to very very clearly signpost that something some noble thing is coming but yeah. as, but it does it does track with 
to an extent what the lone gunman show was trying to do with them which was to position them as these kind of nerdy low-end defenders of truth and justice in america you know a lot of the a lot of the episodes they intentionally moved them away from investigating government stuff or you know the kind of things that the x-files mythology would look into which in theory you could think that the gunman would do you know the kind of things that you saw in unusual suspects or you know three of a kind where there was some shady sort of stuff going on they don't do that they they have them investigating things like you know patents for cars that can run on water and <laughs> nazis and you know all this and some of it's terrible like you know but then some of it's really funny. Like they have a whole episode about super intelligent chimpanzees, one of whom is voiced by Edward Woodward, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's that's good. That's a fun one. Planet of the Frohickeys, that's called. So, you know, they, they, they go into some of these more obscure, strange areas based on, it's almost a bit like National Enquirer stuff, I suppose. That's what Darren pointed out in the last one. He's right, or for us, 40 and times, you know, things like that yeah. you know, in the UK. Oddball things that exist. And that in the middle of this, they're standing up for the small people. You know, and that they're what they're writing about and what they're investigating is trying to expose those things. So I suppose in that way, it links to what that show was trying to position them as, really, in a different way from the kind of nerdy conspiracy folks that Mulder would just pop into whenever he needed something looking at or some, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, it is heavy-handed. It is heavy-handed, and it's it's just he's just trying to get the mechanics of plot working more than anything else. And there's quite a lot of stuff going, like you say, stuff going on around it as well that takes up focus, like Eva Del Harlow and um, what Doggett and Reyes are doing. And you, on, on the plot level, you've got this kind of race against time element which kicks in, don't you? Where mm. you know they think that Eva Del Harlow is off killing these people for no good reason, and it turns out she's actually trying to stop um, this sort of bio weapon going off, as it were. I don't know. Do, do you think, Sarah, that that race against time element? really kind of comes to life as it were and generates a lot of suspense and tension it didn't work for me um Mm -hmm. normally it does but that just it felt like it was kind of just thrown in there to try to make it more important and give them a reason everything about this episode feels crafted to give them a reason and a Mm. way and a means to just kill them off you know yeah to give them a heroic send-off. Yeah, right, like, right. Through their death. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, uh, well put, Carl. Um, <laughs> but, you don't have to agree. Yeah, no. I mean, just to, just to off those guys, you know? No. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we got to get rid of the lung gum, and how are we going to do it, and how are we going to make it noble is basically the gist of this episode, mm. I feel like, you know? And um, so that just felt like another thing they tacked on to give them a reason and a way to do it. And it didn't, I mean, it was effective in that manner, but it didn't, it just annoyed me really because, you know, I, you could, you could see what they were doing with it. And it just. See see the strings being pulled mm -hmm, as it were. See mm -hmm. them manipulating the pieces Mm -hmm. into place. Let's talk a bit about their death then, because one thing I've never fully grasped with some of the reactions to this episode is why some people have such a problem with the idea of the lone gunman being killed. You know, almost like it's just a, just inherently a bad idea that you would do that. And a couple of the comments, which we'll come to, but a couple of the comments are from people who think that it reads as very mean-spirited on the part of the writers. But 
I don't really get that from the episode. I think it seems like a fairly genuine attempt to give them a tragic yet heroic send-off. I felt that watching the episode, and then when I listened to the commentary from Gilligan, Spotnik, Scheiben, I also felt that there was no sense coming through that, you know, this was anything other than a genuine attempt to tie up their story and send them off in a heroic way. So... I can understand why people wouldn't like the episode, but I've never fully understood some of the displeasure about just the idea of killing them off, you know. And I I don't get the mean-spirited thing here. You know, I can see how something like Scary Monsters feels a bit mean-spirited in terms of what that's saying about the fan base and stuff like that, but it didn't really come across in that way to me here. What do you reckon, Tony? I think that maybe the... I'm trying to think about how I felt at the time, really, because I think I was pretty shocked at it. I can't, I can't remember when. I'm assuming I watched this when it first came out. I honestly can't remember now because season nine's a bit of a blur. And like I say, I don't think if I did see certain of the episodes, I can't remember them until recently. Um, but I felt, I wouldn't say I felt betrayed, but I felt a little bit like it was unnecessary in a way, and that. Because they're characters who are, they're, they're in many ways they're so lovable and they're so sweet natured and quirky. It almost feels, I see. I think I see where the mean spiritedness comes from. In that it's a little bit like, I get why you would kill off your Diana Fowleys, you know, your Alex Krychek's, even you know your noble heroes like X, you know that kind. Of, I get that. But why would you do that? Well, why, why did you have to end this with them having a noble death? You could have, you could have absolutely tailored this in a different way, where they're, 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 it shuts down. You know, maybe their paper just shuts down, uh, or they go their separate ways. You know, maybe maybe one of them gets married, or you know, I don't know. Or maybe you could have brought back Suzanne Modeski or something like that, and Byers has a happy ending with her. And then there's other ways you could have written them out in a way and you wouldn't even have been writing them out because the show was over you know by this time they knew the show was over they knew it was ending they crowbar them into the truth in that lost style ghostly cameo kind of thing going on which is fine nice little cameo final little Mm -hmm. chat with Mulder but I don't really get why it had to be a noble death when there were other ways you could have told this story and resolved that series without killing them so I, I in a way I get it, but I I agree that this didn't wasn't the only way you could write them out or finish their story or whatever. But I just don't think that that choice to give them a noble death is coming from a mean spirited place in a way. Like I think that all the stuff in the episode about how their magazine hasn't published for a long time and they can't afford equipment anymore and they're broke and all that stuff. I don't think that's coming from a place of like they're trying to punish the characters so much. I think what they're trying to tap into is kind of the almost the extra textual sense that people know that the Lone Gunman series was cancelled ignominiously. People know that outside events weren't kind to these characters, and that's been reflected in in the narrative as well. And in terms of the X-Files more broadly, which is kind of on its last legs. I just don't see it as coming from um, a mean-spirited well, place. But obviously lots of people are seeing that, so it might just be me. The, there is but, a reference, though, isn't there, that, that they, they do they, they do pepper references to that in the show, don't they, about the cancellation of the way. Like, Byers, I think in no, no, Nothing Important Happens Today, you know, he says something like, what what the hell else are we going to do right now? You know, when he come, they come to help. 
Yeah. That's it. And that, that's a nod and a wink to the fact they've been cancelled. So, and, and the whole thing about them having no money is partly because Jimmy's not there. Because in, in the show, Jimmy's bankrolling them, basically, because yeah. they're, they're on their downers. They haven't really got any money. They're struggling. And he comes in with a bit of money and helps them. And then when he goes off looking for Eve around the world in the last year, then they, they're broke again. So, so there are tethers to the show itself there that if you haven't watched the show, you wouldn't get. You wouldn't really pick up on that. They don't really make that too mm. explicit. But I think part of it might be just, I think Spotnitz points this, I think it's Spotnitz who says this on the commentary track, and I think it's a good point, which is what he wishes they had done is that actually the episode after they die, maybe they needed something uplifting in there in some way, because the last five minutes mm-hmm. of this after they die, it's just kind of grindingly sad and is, re- is a real downer. What, what do you think, Sarah? Do you feel like it's just a, a callous choice that should never have been made? <laughs> Well, okay, so if you know the the general general accepted rules about, you know, filmmaking and you know, Carl, I know you love Hitchcock, I know you're gonna know this. So there's don't kill off the kid and don't kill off the dogs, right? <laughs> don't kill the puppy, don't kill the kid. And you know, there's that movie that Hitchcock did with the bomb and the kid and the puppy on the trolley or whatever it was. So to me, the, the lone gunmen are the golden retrievers of the X-Files. They're <laughs> precious. Yeah. And they're adorable. And they're the com- the sweet and loyal companions to Mulder. And, like, you just you just don't kill off the puppies. Like, just don't do that. You know? it's yeah. There's other ways and other means to give them an end. Like you said, I don't think their death was necessary. Is it noble? Sure. But I think it would have been much more lone gunman-ish because we never see the bodies. You don't ever see their bodies. You don't ever see them actually dying. You just see, you know... Wrath of Khan homage with the Exactly. Hand. Oh, you yeah. see the hands, yeah. and then there, there's like three caskets, and they're supposed to be in there. So, you know, I was expecting and hoping oh, this is just a way that they're going to, like, pretend to kill them off. But really, they're doing lone gum and things still. Well, Sarah, have you read the season 10 comic by any chance? No. By Joe Harris. So that was the one that he created with Chris Carter a couple of years before they brought the show back. Mm-hmm. And the lone gunmen are are alive in that. They they have a okay. secret base underneath Arlington Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> so they 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 bring them back. They're, they're not dead in that. So you might enjoy that there comic you go. series. Okay. Well, that's what we're going with then. <laughs> and that was that was semi-canon I'm here for, for a that. time yeah. as well. Carter sort of I'm signed off on that. all of that before they knew they were going to come back. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, before before season 10 came along and wiped it from yeah. <laughs> existence in that way. Um, it's quite funny to me that, you know, Langley says both, you know, to um to even Jimmy, it's like both of you. And Bios is like, never give up. And like, we we get no indication whatsoever in the future about anything that Jimmy Bond or Eva Del Harlow have been up to. You know, um, it's true. And they're very they're very stoic, aren't they? When they're just about to go to their death. To be fair, mm. um, I'm not sure. It felt like them in a way. I don't know. Um, mm. What about Arlington National Cemetery? Does that ring true? Because part of me thinks like they probably wouldn't want to be buried somewhere like that necessarily, given how skeptical they are about the military-industrial complex and all that kind of thing. I suppose the idea is that they are true patriots in their own way and therefore it's a fitting place for them to go. But I don't know. 
What do you reckon, Sarah? Well, obviously it was important because doesn't doesn't that all come back, you know, later? So it worked out, I guess, in the end. I would like to believe that Skinner knew what was up and he had the secrets all along. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was, it, you know, I would like to trust that, you know, eventually that was in the plan <laughs> for it to all make sense and come together. It feels to me like they get a long way away from where those characters started in something like EBE, you know, some of their early appearances. Um, and there's actually a genuine kind of, there's always a humor there, but there was kind of an edge to them in their early appearances. And by the time you get to something like first person shooter, which kind of recasts them as quite ardent capitalists (laughs) and something like this, I don't know. It feels to me like the the characterization is all over the place a bit over the the whole run of the show and the spinoff and all that. Characterization on the X-Files being inconsistent. (laughs) I know. What? beggar's belief no i i no i i see what you mean i think i think the the best fate for them would have been that they they get cremated and their ashes are scattered over the grassy knoll in texas given given how uh, <laughs> given how connected they all are to you know jay i mean eva del harlow is an anagram of lee harvey oswald and that's a key thing in the show um even though this gives her a really prosaic real name i think it's lois lois runs yeah. although originally she wasn't <laughs> going to be called that they mentioned this in the commentary originally the plan was that she was going to be revealed to be called esther and they were going to do a lot more with the english background and she'd have she was quite gawky and real i mean that would have been a real like a real tropey kind of you know grown worthy yeah. thing so in a way i'm glad they didn't do that but no um that you know all those jfk connections it feels that would have been more fitting really i think for them but you know i mean i mean they mentioned as well don't they they remind us that frohiki was almost killed off in season four as well so you know, in musings of a cigarette smoking man. And I've always kind of been on Glenn Morgan's side, but that would have been actually a very strong choice to make to kill him off there. Because I think the one good thing about killing them off here as well is that it means that if you're watching season nine for the first time, it does add a level of jeopardy to the remaining episodes in terms of this. This was always a series that wasn't afraid to kill people off, wasn't afraid to kill off mm. Deep Fro or X or whoever. And this gets a little bit back towards that and. I've never hated the choice of killing them as much as a lot of people do, to be fair. Yeah. Um, apparently, the Rafa Khan homage was... Uh, the actors came up with that, and it wasn't scripted, apparently. They came up with oh, it on cool. set, just by the way, which that's is interesting. Cool. Yeah, that's a nice... I I've, I completely have missed that over the years. It was only when I was listening to the commentary and they mentioned Wrath of Khan. I was like, of course! I've got, I have got. love Wrath of Khan, so I'm surprised. Um, I was just going to ask, obviously, they you mentioned earlier, Carl, didn't you, about how Gillian Anderson's uh, uh, schedule was tight to be in this at all and they almost didn't get her to pop up at the end of scully and they said they it would have felt really odd if she hadn't what about Mulder? like i mean i know i know plot wise that they couldn't have just had Mulder pop up at that point because <laughs> everyone would have gone what Mulder? you're back um but it's a shame isn't it that he's not there even if you they, they didn't cut to you know a shot of him in the distance with some binocular, a bit like how um, he talks about going to Deep Throat's funeral and he's watching from a distance. They could have actually just had that where, where he's there with some binoculars and then Duchovny just says something like, bye guys, and then walks off. I'd be well up for that. Yeah, oh, he, he could appear like he doesn't trust no one, where it's from a distance, yeah. it's clearly not David Duchovny. <laughs> you know, he's running around for no apparent reason. Yeah, but isn't, isn't the next episode William? Yeah, so Scully's having a real rough time at this point because she's yeah. she says here something like, um, they meant so much to me. I'm not sure if they ever really knew. Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever knew that as an audience <laughs> member, really. 
<laughs> over-egging it a bit. But my point um, is, doesn't Duchovny direct William? Yeah. Like, so he's involved, he's around, isn't he? He's knocking around, the, he's coming back for the truth soon. So surely they could have just called him up and said, Dave, we know you're doing the, the next episode directing, but can you just pop in for like a little like visual cameo just in the distance? I don't know why they didn't do that. It'd be very distracting, wouldn't it? Because you'd be adding another element to the episode there. You, you know, the studio is going to want to market the truth as the return of Mulder, the return yeah, of David Duchovny. Mm. So that would kind of muddy the waters a bit, wouldn't it? You know, if it's the return of Mulder and the truth, apart from that two-minute cameo at the cemetery, and, you know, I suppose it's cleaner if he, he pops up again just at the start of the truth, in a way. But he does appear in the eye, doesn't he, in, in William? Yeah, he does. So technically, <laughs> that's the return of Mulder. <laughs> yeah. I'm being pedantic now, sorry. That's all right. Um, Sarah, we'll do the mailbag in a sec, but any any final thoughts on Jump the Shark? No. I... <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry. The, the 23, episode, the 23 out of 10 episode that she loves so much. Uh, yeah, new favourite episode, you guys, <laughs> apparently. I think it was fine. I, I, don't, I don't hate it. I don't think it's the worst. I, there are other episodes of The X-Files that I would rather not watch. And if if I needed to rewatch this one, I guess it would be fine. Because I always enjoy the Lone Gunman. I you know I just do. They're fun to watch and they're a fun group. And you know if they had to go out, at least they got a noble death, like you said. So um, you know it was for a good cause, I guess. I don't know. It 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 was yeah. It's pretty easy to forget i guess this episode but i i don't mind i don't mind rewatching it i guess so yeah yeah okay uh on that note i guess we'll go into our xcast listener mailbag Okay, so uh, Gabe Siciliano says, The lone gunmen are my favourite characters on the X-Files, so it is always very hard to, to see them go this way, especially since the episode is mediocre at best. However, I did get a chance to speak with Bruce Harwood at the X-Files Fan Fest in Saratoga, and he said that while the episode was not his absolute favourite, he was happy with the way it ended. Incidentally, he also told me he had a wonderful time recording the Cold Cases audio drama, which brings back the lone gunmen especially because he and Tom Braidwood were able to reunite to record their lines together. Overall, not a great episode, but Byers, Langley, and Frohickey elevate every scene they are in, so I'm grateful we got to see them one last time. Brackets, Babylon doesn't count. Um, so yeah, the, the Cold <laughs> Cases was... I agree. The, the Cold Cases was the Season 10 comics uh, adapted for audiobook. I do it? remember so, listening to that. Yeah, it's coming back yeah. to me a little bit. And we yeah. got... Um, we got we did that on the podcast and we got Dirt Mags who mm-hmm. produced it on as well. That was a while ago now, but yeah, there's yeah, some yeah, good yeah. podcasts about that as well. Yeah. In the vault. I am, I'm, it's starting to come back to me. Uh, okay. So Adam Silver says, I'm glad the loose threads from the Lone Gunman series were wrapped up and up until the final scenes, it is better than most episodes of that show. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, and Adam says, but that ending like Williams is completely unnecessary and comes off as mean spirited more than the heroic send off they intended. Uh, Nicole Wilson Ripsom says, I love the gunmen, I love Morris Fletcher, and having them both in the app with Skinner no less, magnificent. The episode has issues, but overall I enjoyed it until the end. I liked the idea of a heroic ending for them, but I agree with an earlier post that rather than coming off as heroic, it just came off as wholly unnecessary and terribly mean-spirited and soured me on the whole app. Can I just point out that Nicole was the, and people will know this by now who've listened, she was the only one in the Lone Gunman episode who raved about that show. So that is consist- a consistent comment there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, yeah, like I say, there, there, there are a few people out there who um, 
who enjoyed that show. Yeah. Okay, Chris Knowles says, Fox hated, I mean hated the lone gunman. I wonder if killing them off was a peace offering to the suits. 1013 barely got clearance to do the episode as it happens. Either way, it's better than that insanely terrible lone gunman series. The lone gunman and harsh realm were really stupid mistakes, but show business is mostly stupid mistakes. Anyhow. I mean, Spotless definitely says in the audio commentary that when the writers decided on doing a Lone Gunman episode, and the way he frames it is the writers themselves decided that killing them off was what they wanted to do, but that that really helped them to sell it to the studio. Um, And Vince Gilligan says they didn't do it lightly. He didn't want to do it necessarily, but he does think it was the right ending. And he said, why not have them go out in a blaze of glory? I think judging on on the main reaction to this, I don't think that... um, Maybe the intention they had didn't quite come across to people in terms of giving them that heroic send-off. And finally, Heather Ben says, Look at what they did to my boys. I like to watch this, (laughs) William, and release in rapid succession and then question my life choices. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. We'll very quickly sign off then with social media handles, I guess. I am at CKJ Sweeney, and um, I am co-hosting a podcast with... Tony, no less, which we do call The Discourse. Uh, do you want to tell people about that, Tony, and um, where they, where else they can find you as well? Yeah, uh, The Discourse is generally Carl and I talking about uh, pop culture, television, movies, um, growing old, uh, gracefully, <laughs> in quote marks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we get we do lo- we cover loads of stuff there. We have talked about The X-Files as well a couple of times. We talked about the Ryan Coogler um, the, speculation, didn't we? The possible, yeah, yeah um, remake or reimagine or whatever it's going to be. So, yeah, um, when we get some X-Files news, we'll do it on there as well. So, no, hopefully people will enjoy it. You can find that um, on various podcasts, various socials. Best way to find it is to do Linktree. So linktr.ee forward slash the discourse podcast. Come and check us out if you haven't already. And uh, I'm on Linktree as well. Linktr.ee forward slash ajblackwriter and you'll find links to all the copious social network social media networks all the other things i'm doing it would take me another hour to bore you with it i'm not going to do it just go there all right <laughs> <laughs> all right and sarah how about you where are you found uh you can find me around uh the easiest place is sarahlblair.com uh i've got links to all my socials links to my books if you want to read those check it out and the xcast is on x <laughs> Or Twitter, Ugh. as it may still be known to many of you. Uh, that's at the X underscore cast. We're also yeah. on Instagram. And um, that's mainly Sarah posting on Instagram, but also me sometimes as well. And we're on Facebook, of course, with our Xcast uh, podcast. The X-Files Basement, the, the Xcast podcast fan group. Uh, so yeah, we are like we say, we're coming towards the end of season nine now. We'll be back with another new episode very soon. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for Jump the Shark. Until next time, always remember trust no one the xcast and x-files podcast was created by tony black and is produced and hosted by carl sweeney sarah blair and kurt north you can find the podcast on twitter at the x underscore cast on facebook by typing in the xcast and in our group x-files basement the xcast podcast fan group and on instagram the xcast pod don't forget you can support the show by becoming a member on patreon Our patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes chats with our hosts and a thriving community of X-Files, and other premium interviews and specials. To find out more and subscribe, you can go to patreon.com slash the Xcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the Xcast. We are also part of the We Made This Podcast Network, full of popular culture shows, including our Millennium series, The Time Is Now. 
You can find all of our shows at our website, wemadethispod.com, or via Twitter at wemadethispod. Thanks for listening, and keep watching the skies. Thank you.